0: Good morning, my name is Caleb Smith. I serve as Executive Pastor of Strategy and Culture here at Autumn Ridge Church, and I love having ominous music right as I'm walking up on stage. That's kind of fun. Well, we're glad that you're here this morning, and welcome to those of you joining us online as well. We've been in a series this summer called Look Up, a reminder for ourselves that we need to look up when we are in moments in life where we are tempted to look within Or to look around for the answers. But I want to start off with a little bit of a thought experiment this morning. The question is, what if your life was in the Bible? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It could be just me. Maybe I'm the weird one in the room. But this has been something that has played in my mind for years. Because there are certain things in my life where I would be really excited for other people to know about and to know that those stories would be things that would help them take their next step of faith and discipleship. But there are also those things that I don't want anybody to know about. And there are those things that maybe are the stories that I don't even think about that maybe somehow are some lesson for somebody else to learn from. Like when six-year-old Caleb was riding his bicycle down a hill into a cul-de-sac, and for whatever reason, the best way to stop that day was going face-first into a mailbox. Or maybe the story would be in there of Caleb with his brother, who was two years younger. Caleb was nine at the time, and they're standing on a bridge on a walkway over an interstate, and this was, you know, like a while ago. And the cages that they now put over those walkways that are over interstates, those weren't on those at that time. And so, they had this fun little game where you take your shoe and you get your heel out of your shoe so it's just on your toes, and you kick your foot as hard as you can and your shoe goes flying high up in the air and then you catch it. Until like the third or fourth time when the shoe misses and goes that way onto the interstate and you watch your shoe get run over a handful of times. Or maybe it's the really great moments and the things that I'm super proud of, of the accolades from middle school and high school, whether it had to do with soccer or theater or music. Or maybe it is the encouraging thing of my story of giving my allegiance to Jesus and how that would help someone else take their step of faith in that way. Or maybe it's the lesson that is to be learned from whatever the seven years were that produced this hairstyle. I was in youth ministry at the time, so I can explain it perfectly. But what if your life was in the Bible? Because there are also those moments when I have physically, emotionally, or spiritually harmed someone else, and I don't like to talk about those times, and I don't think other people need to be able to read it around the world or for thousands of years? Or how about even sadder are the moments when I may have harmed someone and I don't even know I did it and I still don't know I did it? So what if your life were on display for all to see? We've been basing our series this summer out of Psalm 121 with these few verses. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now to get a little bit of a cultural, contextual understanding of when King David would have written this, it was towards the end of his life. And uh, the city of David, it was on the side of a hill where Jerusalem now sits. Now, if you've been to modern-day Jerusalem, you know that it is spread out over many of the hills that are around the area, the main part of old Jerusalem that, that we like to think of of the Temple Mount, and where Jesus would have walked. It has spread out over many of the surrounding hills. But when we see the word mountains, we can't think of things like the Rockies that are really scraggly and tall and have white caps all year long. We have to think more of like tall, rolling hills. And so even for David, as he's looking out from his capital, from the capital of Israel at the time, he's looking out at the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, where Jesus was arrested And it's not that far away. It's kind of right in front of your face, but you don't know what's on the other side. And so for David, I think there's a contextual understanding to say that when he's lifting his eyes up to the mountains, where does his help come from? If another nation were to come down on his people, if another group was coming to attack him, he would know it at the last second. And though he had a mighty army and though there was peace in his nation... He still, at the end of his life, was highlighting that his help, when he looks up, is not from the strategy that he can come up with. It's not from the lookouts that he can place at the top of each of these mountains. It's from the creator of heaven and earth who made the mountain. And so, when we are anxious, when David felt threatened... When David felt alone, when David felt isolated, when David maybe felt like he wasn't sure where to turn, the reminder is to look up because the maker of heaven and earth is where our help comes from. So we've been filling in this blank all series long. When you are, whatever you're feeling, whatever situation you're in, look up. But some of the times we begin to think about this in terms of what's been done to me. What have other people done that have placed me filling in this blank with whatever I fill it in with? What is it that a a context or, or situation has done to me that I can't control? But what I want us to remember this morning is that this is not just about what happens to us. This can also be about what we put ourselves in. And there's hope in the midst of our own choices. And so I'm gonna fill in the blank for us this morning. When you are in the depths of your own choices, look up. When you're in the depths of your own choices, what do you choose to do? Do you choose to keep digging deeper? Do you choose to rely on yourself to look within or to look around? Or when you feel like you are in the depths of your own choices, do you choose to look up? And so we're going to look at a story from David's life, and you may be, for those of you who've been in church for a while, you may be automatically thinking that we're going to go to the classic tale of of David and Bathsheba. And though we'll reference that in a little bit, that's actually not the one that I want us to look at first. We're going to be looking at a story from David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 27. But before we do that, before we really dive in, I want us to make sure that we hear the promise of the Lord as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. There is security. This is what we are to remember and hold on to. What I love about this section is in Paul's train of thought, he kind of begins to get into all of the things, and I think he just got tired of being like, look, the bottom line is, anything else in all creation, we're just going to cover our basis here. There is nothing in the physical world that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now as we step into the Old Testament, uh, Pastor Rick mentioned this a handful of weeks ago, uh, the Old Testament can begin to be a little bit of a, of, a, of a squirrely part of the Bible to read because it can be hard to take ourselves out of 2022 in the United States of America, in an evangelical church, on top of that in Rochester, Minnesota, to take ourselves up and place ourselves three to 4,000 years earlier in a completely different part of the world and a completely different civil social culture. I would even venture to say that it's basically impossible. We cannot take our finite minds and be able to understand what it was to live then. We can get ideas and we can get pictures. But again, if you're like me, you find yourself wrestling a lot with the things that you read about, the practical experiences that happened in the Old Testament. And so I would commend two things to you if you wrestle with that like I do. The first is a book that we highly recommend. We've mentioned this before. Is God a Moral Monster by Paul Copen? If you wrestle with the Old Testament and understanding how God is working throughout all of history, I would highly recommend this book. But the second thing that I would recommend is, is something that a friend of mine this week said to me as we, were, uh, as we were having a conversation about this message and about my own struggles with the Scriptures at times. So I want to introduce you to this friend of mine. This is Svea Mary. She's a pastor, speaker, and pilot. If you're new this morning, she's one of our pastors. She's sitting over there. But Svea said something to me this week that I think I'm committing to memory and I'm going to have to repeat to myself over and over and over again. This is like the Holy Spirit speaking through her for sure. If we could make it all neat and tidy, God's actions would be smaller than our own wisdom and logic. Just kind of let that sink in. Let's move on. 1 Samuel chapter 27. But David thought to himself. Anybody see a problem with that? When you see this in the scriptures, it usually means that somebody is beginning to do something on their own, apart from God. Now, I like to think of myself as really a good organizational person. I kind of get paid to do that here for you all, and for excuse me, for this church. So I like to think that I have all the answers and that I've got all this experience that I can bring to the table and that I can think through things. I love puzzles, I love solving puzzles. I like figuring out how all of the pieces work together. I like figuring out how things can function at their optimum level. But too often and too easily do I revert into, yeah, I think I can just do this on my own. So the comfort in this for me is that David's just a man like I am, and he's given to the temptations that are so easy for us to grab onto. And so David thought to himself, now let's remember, this is after David as a teenager killed a nine foot tall warrior with a single slingshot. This is the same David who's already been anointed king of Israel to be the next king. He has kneeled in front of the prophet Samuel. He has kneeled in front of all of his older brothers and his dad. Oil has been poured on him as being anointed. The people even are crying out for him to go ahead and be on the throne. And it is such a tenuous situation that the current king, King Saul, is trying to kill him. David has amassed an army of 600 mighty men. And David, along with these 600 warriors and the wives and the children associated with the warriors, are wandering in the wilderness, hiding from King Saul. And there have been moments, even right leading up to this, moments where David was right on the cusp of being able to take down Saul and he chose not to. He showed integrity. He showed faithfulness. He showed amazing reliance upon the Lord and the Lord's timing and the Lord's strength to say, no, I'm not going to push forward with my own timeline and my own ideas. God has said this is gonna happen and so I'm gonna rest in the reality that it will happen. But he's been running for so long, and he's been hiding for so long, and he's been having to take care of somewhere around 1,000 to 2,000 people for so long that I think he just gets tired, and in his tiredness, he begins to think to himself. So David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do, if we keep going, if we keep just wandering in this wilderness, Saul has come on us just like in inches, too many times now he's been upon us. So if, if we keep going in this way, he's going to get me. So the best thing that now I can do, and this is where the next three chapters take place. We're not going to go through them word by word. I would absolutely encourage you to go and read 1 Samuel chapters 27 through 30. I'm going to summarize from here all the way until the beginning of chapter 30. It's a timeline of a year and a half. I think that's important for us to remember because a lot of the times I believe that we can read scripture and we begin to think that things happen like every five minutes because they're shrunk down. But over the course of four chapters, 18 months take place. And throughout those 18 months, David does not cry out to the Lord. Throughout those 18 months, David chooses to make his own decisions apart from what God's desire is. And so in order to protect all of these people, David goes and finds himself with an enemy king. He aligns himself with an enemy king who is an enemy of Israel, an enemy of Saul, because he's like, look, if we can just go live in this place, live in this guy's backyard, Saul will not come and attack. Saul's too afraid, and then we can just kind of rest for a little bit. But as they get settled into this village called Ziklag, fantastic name, we should name our kids that. As they get settled into this town of Ziklag, David then begins to decide that, you know what, we need more stuff. So he takes his men and they begin to raid other nations who are neighboring this enemy king that he's aligned himself with. They begin to raid and pillage and plunder and take possessions. And one of these nations that he goes in wars against, as he's away from Ziklag and off in another raid, this guy comes back and attacks Ziklag and takes all of the women and children and all of the possessions and burns Ziklag to the ground. David has no idea. He and his mighty men are off and they're just conquering and winning battles and getting stuff. But the enemy king that he's aligned himself with comes to him and says, all right, David, Uh, Look, it's been nice having you here for a year and a half. You've brought me a bunch of gifts. That's been fun because I haven't had to do anything. But all of my guys that I'm in treaties with, they're like really mad because I've aligned with you. So I'm kind of like gently kicking you out. Just need you to go. Thanks for all the stuff. Now go back and have fun. So David and his men decide... All right, well, I guess this is our lot. It's been 18 months, maybe Saul's calmed down and maybe we won't have to move around as much if we, uh, if we head back out into the wilderness. So David and his men go back to Ziklag. Now, if Ziklag has been burned, do you believe that they would see it from a long ways off? Probably. Probably. And if David is a man like I am, then my first thought would have been, what have I done? Because if he sees the smoke in the distance, as he's coming up, he has no idea what has happened to all of the people that were there, to all of the people that he was charged to protect. And he's been trying to do it under his own power and under his own strength. And God is trying to get his attention. And so we come to 1 Samuel chapter 30, 18 months after this. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. My guess is, maybe you're not a crier like I'm not. My wife calls me a robot, like there's just no tears, just I don't know. So whether it's on the outside or whether it's on the inside, my guess is is that every single one of us have been in a place where we have wept and our strength has felt completely gone from us and it's been because of our own choices. And we have been in the depths of our own choices and we are faced with a moment of what am I gonna do now? we're at the end of the rope do we keep digging david could have easily figured out a way to keep digging cuz you you know this when you're in it it becomes so much easier to just take another shovel full but that's not the relationship with the god that we serve The relationship that the God of creation wants with us is a relationship where he desires to come down into the pit with us and bring us out together. But David and his men have no strength. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters you ever had somebody who wanted to kill you there's this joke in student ministry that if you have all of your students but none of them want to kill you then you haven't really gotten to the Jesus level of making disciples The men were talking of stoning him, 600 men who've been with him, who've been fighting with him, who've been, who've been walking with him through this, who've been patiently waiting for the day when he would be king, who've been serving him, who've been aligned with him, who have become his friends, who he has shared meals with, who he has protected their wives and their children, and now they're at the end of it. They were talking of stoning him, but David found strength in the Lord his God. For the first time in a year and a half, David turns to the Lord. Self-preservation, that's what David is being hemmed in by. He's being hemmed in by this idea that if he can just make the right choices, then things will be better and he'll be able to protect himself and everything will be fine. And this is where I want to bring up the story that those of us who've been in church for a long time know of David and Bathsheba because this is a pattern in David's life. It's not like this man of great integrity all of a sudden had this one weak moment. And with Bathsheba, he has an affair with another woman and she becomes pregnant. And David orchestrates for her husband, who is one of the fighting men that is with him at this time. David orchestrates for her husband to be on the front lines and to be killed, to be able to cover the whole thing up in self-preservation. Now, in that story, David is not the one who turned and found strength in the Lord. He had to be confronted. He had to have somebody else close to him who stood in the place and said, David, this is what you have done. And when he recognized it, he fell at the feet of his creator and he tore his clothes And he poured ashes on himself in public for all to see. And he submitted himself to the throne. He submitted himself to the consequences that may be coming. He submitted himself to the faithfulness of the one who said that he would protect David. He submitted himself to the realization that he Could not do it all, and that he needed his creator and his life to walk with him. I am always tempted to go into self preservation. Now, self preservation may not be your thing. It may not be the thing that you constantly are battling with in your life, the battling of the choices that you make. Again, this is not about the things that happen to us that we don't have control over. This is all about the ways in which we engage in life. There's a hip-hop artist by the name of NF. I've been listening to him for a good eight years now. In one of his songs, he says this. See, we've all got something that we trapped inside, that we try to suffocate, you know, hoping it dies. You try to hold it underwater, but it always survives. Then it comes up out of nowhere like an evil surprise. Then it hovers over you to tell you millions of lies. You don't relate to that? must not be as crazy as I am. My guess is that if each of us took an honest, transparent look at ourselves, we would be able to resonate with this. Some of us have probably gotten into a really, really good habit of when we feel that moment come, we turn to the one who has already overcome. But my guess is there's also some of us who are constantly struggling with turning to our savior. But there's another story that I wanna remind us of that is the hope and the faithfulness of God. It's a story that comes out of the New Testament. Jesus tells this story of of a son who goes to his father and says to his father, "I, uh, I, I I just want all of my inheritance. I know that usually comes when you die, but let's just pretend that you've died and that I now get my inheritance. His father gives it to him. And the son leaves and goes to another country and he squanders all of it. Spins it all. Text, Bible says that it's, it's on parties and he's having a good old time. But eventually he finds himself sitting amongst pigs and being jealous of the food that the pigs are eating. And he thinks to himself... You know, even the servants in my father's household are taken care of better than what I'm experiencing right now. So I'm going to go back, and I'm simply going to say to my father, if you will just treat me as one of your servants, that will be good enough. That's all I'm asking for. And while he was still a long way off, his father sees him, and his father runs to him. Now, there is a whole mess of contextual and cultural understandings of this story that Jesus tells and what it meant for a father and a man to run to someone who had betrayed him. But that's a sermon for another time. For us this morning, it is the reminder... That God is simply looking for us, whether we are not a believer yet and you you are debating and you are wrestling with yourself on whether giving your allegiance to Jesus is an actual good thing to do. Here's the reality is God's not waiting on you to get everything in your life fixed and pretty and neat and tidy. He wants to be in it with you and help you get it neat and tidy. He's the only one who can clean it up But if you're in the depths of your own choices, the call is to look up and to surrender to him. But then there's those of us who are believers and we simply can find comfort in the fact of knowing that someone who was called a man after God's own heart could still make these atrocious mistakes and still be looked at as faithful, and still be looked at as full of integrity, and still be called the king of Israel. That even in David's choices, we can resonate with that and get the hope that even when we make our own choices to put ourselves in places that are not of God, that all it takes is looking up Because God wants to get in the pit with us and help us get out. There are three questions that I would like to put before us to know and to diagnose if I am going in the the range of of self-preservation, if I'm going in that direction, what might that feel like? And here are the three questions. What are you afraid of losing when you feel self self-preservation coming on when you feel like you're in the moment of but David thought to himself if that's hitting you ask this question of yourself what are you afraid of losing because at the end of the day what you cannot lose is Jesus Second what are you trying to hide What is it that you're trying to keep under wraps that you may be embarrassed about, that you don't want other people to know about? Because the reality is, as Scripture says, that everything that is brought into the life is then brought into the life of light, and it is covered by the blood of Jesus. He has already overcome, and there is nothing to hide from him. Or what are you trying to prove and to whom? Because you can't prove anything to the one who is your savior. He's already proven himself to you. As we close out this morning, I want us to be reminded of how David's response demonstrates what it is to be a man after God's own heart. Psalm chapter 51. This is a psalm that David wrote after he was confronted with his sin about Bathsheba. Having an affair, killing her husband, trying to cover it up, trying to get away with it. He still experienced the consequences of that. The child that was produced out of that affair did not live. David begged and begged for God to heal the child. It did not happen. And yet, he still held firm in his understanding and faithfulness of who his creator was. We know that Psalm 51 was written by David mainly because it says so. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. May we take comfort in knowing that restoring the joy of our salvation is something that can happen no matter where we find ourselves, whether it's something that's been done to us or whether it's our fault. Jesus is there. But it's not an attitude that is passive that says, I'm just gonna let what happened may happen. The opposite of self-preservation is not letting what may happen happen. The opposite of self-preservation is is submission. It is an active, intentional placing of ourselves, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, before the throne of God and submitting to who he is.